you want to take that and use that, you can come up through this little driveway here and back up there and then fill up your truck with it if you'd like it. It's there. So and there'll probably be more of that coming this spring because there's some trees that need to be cut down. All right. And then uh, come to the business meeting because we're going to talk about uh, property and things like that. So you come to that and be involved in that if you would. So Romans chapter 3 and verse number 21 I'll read 21, 22, and 23, and then verse 28. All right. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then verse 28, Paul's conclusion. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now we are picking up in our series on Sunday mornings, uh, great gospel words that end with T-I-O-N. Today's word is justification. This uh, word comes under the umbrella of salvation. Salvation is the general term, and then underneath that you, you have uh, justification, imputation, sanctification, glorification. In other words, today we're studying justification, and we're going to talk a little bit about the imputation part too, uh, as we, it's, it really touches us. Now this is a main theme. This is the big one of all the salvation words. This is how we're actually saved. We are justified before God. We live in the 21st century, and it's been a long time since the Reformation, if you're familiar with that. Certain Roman Catholic church leaders, Catholic priests and Catholic monks, right near the end of the 15th century, began to speak out against the corruption in the Roman Catholic church, the Western church, so their own leaders. Those who fought valiantly for the truth were called reformers. And uh, we're 500 years from this battle, okay, but it's not over. There's a counter-reformation that was started by the Roman Catholic Church, and it's still going. The official start was A.D. 1517, when Martin Luther tacked up the 95 Thesis. Those were 95 complaints against the Catholic Church as to why the indulgence system of Tetzel was wrong. Tetzel was going about selling these indulgences. He would give you a piece of paper if you gave him enough money, and he would give you an indulgence to go sin and do a bunch of wickedness. And you, you just paid for it, and if you paid for it, then it would be covered by the church, and you wouldn't be held liable for it. And uh, so he put up these 95 theses on the castle door of the church in Wittenberg, <clears throat> saying that we could we couldn't earn the favor of God by what we do or with our money. You cannot earn the favor of God. That's what justification is all about. So this was at really the center of the Reformation. This is like the front lines of that battle, justification by faith. Now listen, some of you right now are saying, come on, preacher. It's Sunday morning. You're talking about justification, imputation. What are you talking about? Keep it simple. We need just... Now, <laughs> It reminds me of a man that was talking to his friend one day, and is, uh, he says, uh, my wife talks to herself all the time. 
and his, and uh, and his friend said, "Yeah, my wife talks to herself all the time too, but she doesn't know that she's doing it." He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "He said she doesn't know that I'm not listening." <laughs> and sometimes I think, as a preacher, I'm talking, but nobody's listening. Amen. You just shut me off just because you think, "Oh, that's too hard." Listen, you can tell me all about the economy, inflation, uh, bio labs in Ukraine, the history of the Russian uh, nation, the government there. You can tell me all kinds of, you could talk all day long about that kind of stuff. But you're telling me you can't get justification by faith. I know you can. You you can learn what you want to learn. Sometimes people play possum. You know, uh, they play like they're dead and you poke them with a stick, and they hiss at you. So, so don't hiss at me this morning if I poke you a little bit to try and encourage you to learn these things. This is it's still going on. Uh, today, uh, you know, the counter-reformation to try to bring people back into the corrupt, uh, end times, anti-church, it's still happening. When I was in Prague, some of those churches by... Uh, uh, John Huss, that were turned from Catholic to Protestant. John Huss is an awesome uh, character of history for the Protestant movement. But anyways, uh, on, on some of those churches that were rechristened uh, to the Catholic Church, they had signs outside of them that talked about the Reformers not being Reformers, but being revolters. And signs that would tell you about the counter-Reformation of the Catholic Church. These were places where Catholics would come and tour these great cities, uh, these great church buildings. And so I'm telling you, it's still happening. It's still going on. We took a quiz in Sunday school to find out if you were more Catholic or Protestant in your beliefs on how a person is made right with God. It was an interesting quiz. If you're interested in that, we could get you a copy of it. And uh, the answers are included with it. It was, it was uh, very good. But uh, th- those that took it in Sunday school, they said that was good. But what things had started to heat up before Luther... Because he wasn't the first reformer. He wasn't the first one to start this. There were others, and it involved the translation of the Bible into English. The church did not want the Bible in English, in the common tongue. They wanted to keep it in Latin, which was the language of education. Nobody could read Latin. So they wanted the people to be ignorant of the Bible. Did you know that the first book ever printed on the printing press, you know, invented by Gutenberg... It was, in fact, in 1450 A.D., it was the Bible in German, and it was an illegal move. The Bible, at one time, was a banned book in the, in the West, in Europe, and in other places in the world today, it still is a banned book. But you're holding an illegal book in your hands if you've got a Bible, and you have uh, certain men to thank for it. Uh, there's a little book that's called God's Outlaw. There's also a DVD that you can get. I think as a church we ought to watch it. But it tells the story of an early reformer named William Tyndale, who during his ministry ran for his life, and he was followed by bloodthirsty papists who were trying to prevent him from translating the New Testament into English. But Tyndale did it anyways, and he eventually uh, paid for it with his life. But your New Testament is mostly, in your King James Bible, it's mostly Tyndale's translation. So uh, you have him to thank, but it was illegal and he died for it. 
Um, the main battle, though, is not the inspiration of the scriptures or even the priesthood of the believer, which Martin Luther argued that there shouldn't be a separate priest class, that all believers are priests unto God. So you don't come to church and call me a priest or a reverend. I'm a pastor, and you just call me brother. And you're a priest, if you're saved, just, as like, just like I am, able to offer up spiritual sacrifices. But the main battle of the Reformation was for the truth of justification by faith. That's what Luther fought for, and he also sealed his testimony with his blood. So we're going to study that doctrine today. Can I tell you, it's important. I said all that just to say this. It's very, very important. So as we study Romans chapter 3, verse 21, our first heading is without the law. God justifies a sinner without the law. But now... The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That is, God makes us right before him without the law. He justifies us. And he does not use the law. And any keeping of the law, any any keeping of the commandments, trying to use the law like it's a ladder to climb to heaven one rung at a time, a ladder with ten rungs, that is entirely wrong. Because God justifies us without the law. And a definition on justification, I think, would be helpful at this point. Justification means to declare righteous. To declare righteous. God declares us righteous and will accept a man as righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. You can be accepted as right before God and ready for heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. God declares us righteousness. We'll we'll talk more about that through the whole sermon. But it's without the law. God does not use the law to do this. At least not in anything that we do on our part. You understand that the law is a mirror. Old-time preachers back in the 18th century I understand, and back in the 19th century, like to use this illustration a lot. The law is a mirror. Now, if you have a a dirty job, and and you've gone out and you've uh, chopped down some trees, or you've done some yard work and weed eating and digging a ditch and running a trench or something like that, and you get done working, you go inside the house and you look into the mirror, you're filthy. You've got dirt, dust, and grime all over you. The mirror shows you your condition. You can't wash yourself in a mirror. <laughs> if I see you're, out, you're out of my house and helping me and we're working on something out in the backyard and I go, go inside and wash yourself up in the mirror, it doesn't make any sense. You need, a, uh, you need water. You need a sink to wash yourself up. The law is just a mirror to show you your condition, to show you that you're dirty before God. You're guilty You're undone. You need to get cleaned up and ready to go. But the the mirror just shows you that. It cannot cleanse you. For a man to ever think that he could be justified before God on his own merits by keeping the law, that's, that's to think that by my own goodness and my own performance that, that I can be accepted before a holy God, that is that's that's the height of arrogance. That is that's gross and detestable before God. That's, 
that's an awful thing to think that a man, that, that is, you could not get more proud and more full of yourself and more self-righteous than to say that I believe I can be accepted with God based upon my own goodness. And when God holds up the, the mirror of the law, then I'm okay. No, you're not okay. He justifies us without the law. Why? Because the law just says you're guilty. It's like ten, ten cannons pointed at you. Just saying you're guilty, 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 guilty. And the law pronounces a death sentence. And if you die in your sins without Jesus Christ, then God just puts the gavel down finally on your life and says, guilty, guilty, guilty. It's death. Death for you. The death of the body is the separation of the soul from the body. The death of the soul is the soul's torments in hell. And it's final. And it's done. You have to get saved because you're in trouble with God. You've got to get saved in this life while you live and breathe. God justifies us without the law because the law has never saved anybody. You cannot become righteous with God by keeping the Ten Commandments. We'll move on to our second point. But let me conclude this point by saying this. If you read the book of Romans, Paul was saying, he was saying, look, God has given you the witness of creation. No one will ever be able to stand before God at the judgment and say, I just didn't know. God says that the creation is a witness against you, and you'll be without excuse. No excuses, because God says creation. You say, that's not enough for me. I hope you don't reach the judgment with that kind of an attitude. Because God says it is. Not only that, but he gave you conscience. He says the conscience is a witness against you that you are guilty before God and will be judged for the wrong that you have done or things that you've left undone. The conscience is a witness against you. This is what he says in Romans. And the commandments are a witness against you. You will be found guilty in God's courtroom. If you die without the justification of the believer by faith, you'll be found guilty. Three of them, three of them, three big ones against you. You see, you cannot be justified by the law. It's a witness against us. Now, that's not all that it does, but that's what it does in in the uh, subject of justification for somebody who's not saved yet. Secondly, the righteousness of God. Our second main point, the righteousness of God. What is it? So, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So, the law in the Old Testament and all of the prophets in the Old Testament, they're just like, they're like hands pointing to Jesus Christ, witnessing to this righteousness of God that comes by faith of Jesus Christ. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the the teaching is, is that you are made right with God based upon your faith in what he has said. And taking him at his word. Abraham was told, Abraham, you're an old man, 99 years old. Uh, You're going to die soon. But I'm going to tell you this, you're going to have a child. And not only that, but your your descendants, your seed, is going to be more than the stars in the sky. And you know what Abraham did? He said, it sounds impossible, but God, I believe you. Genesis 15. 
I believe you. And because he believed God, it says in Genesis 15 and in Romans 4, that it was counted unto him for righteousness. And what does that mean? Imputation is the word counted, or it's put to your account, or it's charged to you. His faith was the means, it was like, it was like the conduit. If I want to run you know, a spigot out to uh, the, the end of my driveway or out to my little shed in my backyard, well, I've got to run a water line, dig a trench, run a, run a water line, put up a spigot on my uh, shed in my backyard. Well, the conduit to get the water there is run underground, you understand? Well, the, the conduit to receive this gift of God's grace is your faith. And by believing what God said and taking him at his word, not about a promise to have children and spiritual descendants, but a promise that if you'll trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, that God will save you and declare you to be right with him based upon what Christ has done. If you'll take God at his word and believe that, that faith is the way that you receive this gift, and God will say, I declare him, I declare her righteous. That means to be uh, imputed with, charged with, declared to be righteous. You see, put on your account. To be, to be, it's like saying that, that uh, let's suppose that you have an account and you have debt and you have somebody who's willing to have mercy on you and pay off your debt, maybe a student loan debt, okay? They pay off your debt, and they, they make you now debt-free, okay? Somebody else did that for you. They put that to your account. Not only now that you're debt-free, but now you have credit. You have the, the, the people who, want, who, who can lend you money actually believe that you might actually pay it back. So they give you credit. And that credit is put to your account. It's a bookkeeping term. It's, it's, a, it's a mathematical term to be imputed, to be counted as righteousness. It's put on you, and God treats you as if you're right with him. This is the only way to get to heaven. It's the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God means justification. It is God putting his own righteousness on your account. It's in two parts. He says, now the righteousness of God. Two parts, okay? Is first of all, forgiveness of all sin and of all guilt and of all shame. That's part one. Part two is being imputed with the righteousness of God. Being given a righteousness which is not your own. It's another's righteousness. That's how imputation works in God justifying a believer. You can see him right here, actually, in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Do you see how it happens? That's the conduit. That's the means of how you receive the righteousness of God, by your faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law. You see that? Notice this phrase, unto all and upon all them that believe. It's tragic, but the newer Bibles remove upon all them that believe. Even though most 
the majority of manuscripts have the phrase in there, upon all that, them that believe. There's some witnesses that don't have the phrase, but the majority of Greek witnesses and, and texts has upon all them that believe, but the modern versions many times will remove that. It's tragic. Because you have a perfect, a perfect wording and phrasing there for the two parts of justification. Look at it. Unto all and upon all. The unto all... How, how it, it comes to all who believe. What comes to us? Forgiveness of sin. You can be forgiven of all your sin. Past, present, and future. Forgiveness of sin. Freedom from guilt and shame. The law cannot touch you if you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at it in Acts chapter 13 with me. The first part of this righteousness of God or justification is that your sins are canceled out. All sin. All sin that you've ever done. The sin that you committed today. The sin that you will commit. All canceled out so that legally it's not held against you. In God's courtroom, excuse me. Acts 13 verse 38. You see that salvation is by faith alone and not based upon our merit or any goodness that we have in us or that we do. It's all of grace. It's all of God. Salvation is God from start to finish. Acts 13, verse 38. Is this not what Paul preached? Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through Jesus Christ is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law. Now listen, verse 39. Have you believed in Jesus Christ for salvation? Okay, if you have... You are justified from all things. All you have to do is take God at his word. All things. You're justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see, all your sins, past, present, and future. You can be forgiven of your sin, your guilt, your shame. And secondly, back in Romans 3, it's, 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 a, it's a forgiving of something, and it's also giving you something that you didn't have, giving you righteousness. In verse 22, unto all and upon all. This is a beautiful picture. The wording is perfect. Upon all. What is that? Upon all that believe. What happens when God declares me righteous, when, when God justifies me? He takes away my sin and my guilt and my shame, all of it, and he clothes me with the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon all. He, he, we, we studied it in Sunday school. He places us into Jesus Christ when we get saved. You didn't know it happened, but it happened when you got saved. You were baptized into Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, I believe. You're baptized into Christ, placed into him. Just like Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, God, I pray that they will be in me and I in you and we'll all be one. 
You are placed into Jesus Christ. You are clothed with his righteousness. The righteousness of God that is given to you at salvation, listen to it, don't miss it. It is a person. It is upon all that believe. The righteousness of God is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And when you trust him, you you are placed into him. And it is like to say that you are clothed in his righteousness. So that when God looks at you, it's not a guilty verdict. When God looks at you, he sees his son. This is the only way that you can be saved. It is righteousness imputed, put on your account, charged to you, given to you. And it's not your own. It's a foreign righteousness. It's the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ. You see, he fulfilled the law for us perfectly. He lived a righteous life. He came down to earth. He took on a human body, became a man for us, fulfilled the law perfectly, did what nobody could ever do except the Son of God. And then he went to the cross and was a spotless lamb without blemish and died on the cross, not just to pay the penalty for our sin, you understand. We talk about salvation as being God paid the penalty for us. It's not just to pay the penalty for us. Listen, it's to take our guilt and our shame. He was treated as if he was guilty of your sin on the cross. God imputed him with your sin. God charged our sin to him. God put our sin on his account, treated him as if he was a guilty sinner, and he died under the wrath of Almighty God and under his law so that we could go free. You remember when Jesus was about ready to be crucified, Pilate said, which one do you want? You want him or you want Barabbas? Barabbas also means son of the father, which is interesting. And they said, no, not this man. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas was supposed to be crucified that day. But Barabbas went free. And for the rest of his life, he said, it was, it was him or me. He was my substitute. He took my place. I got to run free. I don't deserve to live. I deserve to die for what I've done. That's the picture. He took my place. And if you're saved, he took your place too. And if you're not saved, all you have to do is get in on this thing, and it'll count for you. God will give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he'll let Christ die for your sins. Let me give it to you like this before our final point. Let's suppose that I broke a law in Meigs County. Okay? And uh, I was called into court. I was found guilty. I'm guilty under the law, and the verdict was that I have to pay a steep penalty, fine, to make me pay, to punish me for what I did. But imagine somebody came into the courtroom, and they had pity on me, and they felt sorry for me, so they paid my fine. Okay, they paid the penalty, but you see what Christ did for us is more than just paying the penalty, because... In Meigs County, I'm still guilty. Everybody knows I did it. I was guilty. I still have the shame. I, I, I won't be able to live down that, rep, that reputation. I, I broke the law, even though the fine was paid for me. But you see, what Christ does on the cross is he pays the penalty, yes, but he also takes your guilt and your shame. It's something that cannot be done in human terms. It's impossible for humans to do, but it's something that God can do. So that before God, although I am guilty and I've broken the law, Christ has paid the penalty, but before God, he doesn't see me as guilty. And I have no shame 
before God. Now, I feel ashamed about some of the things I did before I got saved, but before God, I can't stand there and say, God, I'm so ashamed of myself. He'd say, what are you talking about? Are you trying to earn favor with me based upon your own goodness? Because that's a lost cause. I stand before God justified. Here's another way to put it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Not only is, are my sins cleared, but my guilt is gone. And the shame, I'm treated like I'm righteous. It's just as if I'd never sinned. It's done. It's a clean slate, a fresh start when you get saved. You get saved by faith. You stay saved by faith. You stay saved by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lastly, number three. We talked about we're justified without the law. We're justified when we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And lastly, it is by faith and not works. Notice he says in verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. You see, it's on all those who believe. Verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Somebody says, Oh, I believe in God because I believe that God is a loving God. And so I believe that because God is a loving God, that he'll let me go to heaven. Uh-uh. Boy, that's slippery grounds. That's not a good situation. I don't believe in God and think that I'm saved because God is a loving God, although he is. But I believe that I'm saved today by faith, not love. By faith in Jesus Christ. Because God loved me so much that he gave his son to die an excruciating and humiliating and shameful death treated like a guilty sinner on my behalf. And I'm saved by faith 100% in what Christ has already done, not in what I ever could do. Jesus said, it is finished, brother, sister. It's, the work for your salvation is finished. We don't work to stay saved. Listen, somebody tells you that you can be saved just as long as you don't do anything real bad and you'll go to heaven. That person is a liar and they're under the anathema of God. I'm not kidding. Galatians 1. That is another gospel and that is destructive to men's souls. That is hatred towards men's souls. That's not how salvation works. You'll never be good enough. You will do things. Listen, you ever told a lie since you were saved? Have you? If you don't say yes right now, that's your first lie. Okay? You have. You ever admitted the truth or didn't, didn't say something that you knew you were supposed to say? It's all lies. It's all deceitfulness. Um, look, you ever fudged your tax records? All right, I'll move on. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. The reason why self-righteous people think that somehow they can earn salvation, you know, just as long as God gives me a little bit of help, I'll make it. The reason why they think that is because they don't understand the seriousness of sin. Listen, God would throw you in the lake of fire for a lie. He's righteous. He's holy. He must judge sin. That's why Christ died, so that sin could be judged and paid for. 
And if you don't take the payment that Christ offers, and if you try to pay for sins yourself, listen, you'll be thrown into hell for a, for a lie, not to mention all the other things. It's serious to think that somehow you could earn God's favor by your own righteousness. He says it's not by works. And when we say works, we're talking about the law. There, there is no other measure of what is right and wrong. Uh, the law is a reflection of God's own righteousness and holiness. As I close, I want to say this. Isaiah prophesied of this in the Old Testament when he wrote, He shall see of the travail of his soul. That's God the Father looking on the travail of his Son on the cross, suffering for our sins, and shall be satisfied. Do you understand that? God is satisfied with what his Son did on the cross. If you try to add something to that, that's, a, that's an insult to deity, to God Almighty. God was satisfied by what his son did. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And that's why I'm telling you about him today, so that you can know these things, so that you can be justified. For he shall bear their iniquities. When Christ died on the cross, he bore your sins and took care of them. It's either you pay for your sins or you let Christ do it. Galatians 2.16 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Be it known unto you, therefore, brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him... All that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul would go on in the book of Romans and he would say that we are not justified by the commandments. We're not justified by the ordinances. We're only justified by faith in Christ's shed blood. If you have faith in God because he's a loving God, your faith is in the wrong place. Your faith needs to be in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as a payment for your sin. And the moment that you get saved, it's as if, you know, here's, here's all your sins that you committed. And the moment that you get saved, they're canceled out and they're cleared away and there's no more sin. I know it's not a perfect illustration because you can still see the, but you, you get my point. Your record's clean. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, it happens by faith. Paul said, by this man, we preached to you. And I preached and you believed. And when you believed, you were justified. You, you, you get it? You have to hear the preaching of the gospel. You heard it. And when I preached, Paul said, all that believe are justified right there at the belief, at the moment of the belief, justified from all things. So I don't care what you've done. It can all be under the blood and all be taken care of. That's a wonderful salvation. And that's the only way to be saved.